Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this week's Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly full of food, drink and travel from the ever inquisitive and hungry Olive Magazine team. My name is Laura Rowe, I'm the editor and your host. So what's coming up on this episode? Olive's digital intern Amanda has been speaking with Josh Tarlow, head of coffee at Origin Coffee Roasters, about the different coffees around the world, as well as the different aromas, tastes, colours and smells you might expect when drinking your cup of joe. Expect to learn about everything from roasting coffee at home to how to brew. Plus, web editor Alex has been at the Southbank Centre in London, feasting on a Nordic breakfast cooked by a collaborative team of chefs from Sweden, Norway and Iceland as part of the Nordic Feast Festival happening this weekend. Listen to Alex speak to Niklas Ekstedt of Michelin-starred restaurant Ekstedt in Stockholm about Nordic breakfast, Swedish baking and cooking over fire. First up, here's Amanda and Josh. I'm here at Origin Coffee Roasters. I'm here with Josh, who's the head uh, of coffee. And we're here to talk about everything about Origin, how you came about. So, Josh, let's just tell me a bit more about Origin. Great. So, we're a specialty coffee roaster based down in Cornwall. Um, been around for about 11 years. And so, specialty coffee is sort of what it's looked at is the high end of coffee where it's most traceable some of the best coffees that are produced by farmers all around the world and uh, so we look to bring those back to the UK and roast them in for our shops across London and Cornwall but as well as to mostly as a wholesale business all across the UK. Obviously everyone knows coffee comes like you just said from all around the world but quite often it's more or less in seen in South America places like Brazil, Colombia, El Salvador or in like the place like Ethiopia. When you're looking for coffee, um, what's like the difference in like regions or, you know, obviously it's like to do with climate, but like what more do you look for? Yeah, so it's really amazing because coffee is such a reflection of the countries that it grows in. So every country has its own rules on maybe how it what it lets farmers do or has its own customs and what the farmers will just inherently do. And so we can say we're in Rwanda where everyone is going growing red bourbon and so washed coffee. That means uh, you're going to get a, a flavors that are one way as opposed to, say, Brazil, where most people are doing natural or pulp natural coffees. And so each area has their customs, traditions, and laws that also will affect it. So we look at different places to give us different flavor profiles for every different coffee. So we will go to the countries that will offer that, but we also try to offer as much diversity of those different kind of capturings of what coffee can be. And is there more diversity in the coffee in, say, Africa, like Ethiopia, as opposed to Brazil or Colombia, who are like some of the biggest countries that produce coffee beans? Oh, it's really interesting because although... In, in say Colombia and Brazil, you get people who like big, bigger farms, uh, in, like massive farms in Brazil, and they're producing very chocolatey tasting coffee. That doesn't mean that there isn't people doing really different, unique stuff. It just means on a whole, it's this one way. So as opposed to in Africa, where you're having tons of little small lot farmers, and there's a lot of 
homogenization that happens once you start adding all those small lot farmers together and build, build the lots that end up being roasted. So you do get, I think every country has some people doing incredibly diverse things and some people just doing quite the standard. Ah, interesting. So when like you're, you're specifically going to look for coffee or you're going around the world thinking, what does Origin now want? Like, what do our customers, consumers look for? Is there like a specific sort of sensory thing you go through or taste, aroma, that kind of thing? Yeah, so it usually starts out with uh, just tasting so many coffees and it's yeah. done through um, a process called cupping, which is yeah. we basically weigh the exact same amount of coffee that goes into a little bowl um, and through hundreds of different lots, we'll do exactly the same thing in how to brew it. And so we can taste all those lots side by side. Um, we can uh, do analysis of how they smell, how, say, the sweetness of it, the acidity of it, the body of it, the flavor notes, so we can compare them. And uh, we'll, we'll do that. An individual coffee before we buy it will usually go through at least five to six times of being through cuppings. And so we'll start by cupping hundreds of coffees against each other, then we'll eliminate a bunch. And then we'll eliminate more and more. And then we'll get to a place where we just keep cupping that coffee again and again to make sure that it's uh, tasting the same every time. And when you talk about cupping, what exactly is that? Like, what do you do? Yeah, so it's a standardized way of evaluating coffee used all around the world. So it's being used in Ethiopia and it's being used in Brazil and Colombia, El Salvador. And what it is, it's taking a bowl. We The standard ones that we're using, um, so we have 150 grams of water that we'll use to 11 grams of coffee. Specific, um, very, very specific. specific. <laughs> and uh, well, it's that way you're doing the exact same thing yeah. to all the coffee. And you, you roast the coffee in a way that's fairly similar to each other. So you're not to being make it biased. as fair. Yeah, yeah. as yeah, you're trying to eliminate all these variables that make coffee taste so much different. Um, and then once you do that, you let it brew for four minutes. You give it a stir, um, stir three times exactly. Oh, really? And you smell the coffee. Why three times? Sorry. So it's done exactly the same. Not and, two, not well, four. Or? It's to make sure that you extract as well right, the coffee. Okay. And so by stirring the coffee, you're agitating it, which extracts a little okay. bit more of it. So it makes it a good extraction. And then you uh, you taste it. And so you try to taste it from all. From right when it's nice and hot all the way to when it's cold. And so you can taste the whole sort of spectrum of how that coffee is going to taste. Um, like, so when, say, you've found a coffee that you like, say, for, like, your average consumer, what flavours and tastes would you say to make sure you sell enough of it? Like, what do you look for? Because you don't want to be necessarily too floral, or do you? Sometimes. So I think... The vast majority of coffee that people drink, they're usually looking for chocolatey, caramel. Yeah, like coffee. more nutty, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, like so that's kind of what the richer. traditional idea of what coffee is. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of coffee we buy will maybe have those kind of chocolatey caramel notes. But then we try to always bring in... A bit more creative. Yeah, yeah. so we'll bring in coffees that taste hugely of tropical fruits, like, oh, how, like pineapple notes. And there'll be some that taste like ginseng. And so although... A lot of people are really looking for those, those, those flavors that really remind them of kind of those homely feelings, those ones that they've been drinking for ages. We do bring in a lot of variety of coffee and how it will, so that people are exposed to just the actual spectrum of coffee flavors. Wow. Yeah, because I did the sensory miniature course just before, and he was taking me through, Alex, who's head of um, education teaching here, he um, was taking me through like all the different smells and things, and when you were smelling it, like one was like butter, and it was so buttery that I just... And then one was rubber, and that is just obviously the way it's like produced back from in Ethiopia or wherever. It's so distinctive, and then there's so many little... 
bits that go into it. It's mad. Yeah, it's one of these things that I think when people like sit down and start comparing anything, they start to realize there's so much nuance yeah. in it. But it, what we kind of said it is that most people will just grab that coffee and start drinking it and they'll, they'll make the decision of, oh, this is good or bad. And what supports that decision of it being good or bad is all of this sensory stuff. So people are doing it and usually evaluating a very like simple yes or no method of like, I like this or I don't. Um, but to get there, it's like, oh, what they might actually really like is berry flavors yeah, and so yeah, that yeah. coffee had some berry flavors and so when they were thinking it tastes good it was them liking that no yeah half time it's yeah. like perception isn't it like if you've said this one is blackberry it's got hints of honey and stuff often you know and even things to like oh it's served in like a red cup might make you think it's more like berry so yeah there's a there's a lot that kind of goes into the sensory experience that isn't just tasting um, all of our senses are really intertwined with each other and they're also intertwined with things like memory. And so that's why, say, chocolatey and nuts, yeah, yeah. And those sort of flavors in coffee, they're, those are usually the notes that we first had in our, our first coffees. And so, like, there's always, like, this emotional resonance with some flavor notes so the old people are inclined to like them more. And so there's so much going on. But what we try to do when we're buying coffee is strip away as much of that as possible. And so when it all gets reintroduced down the line, it's supported by really great tasting coffee. Yeah. And so it's kind of that... You, you have to build that bedrock because then when that end person is having that coffee, it's, you know, crystal, crystal clear on yeah. those notes. And it's, uh, oh, wow. Like uh, making sure you've kind of got a level of balance too. Um, and there's like lots, obviously lots of different processes. And I, tr- I had two separate coffees. One was a natural coffee process and one was washed coffee. And my personal preference out of the two was the washed because I felt like it was more smooth, it wasn't so floral. What's the main differences with, like, the different processes when they're making coffee or yeah. the coffee so beans? Coffee, uh, when it gets picked from the tree as a cherry, the, the coffee bean that we're roasting is the seed inside of it. And so they, they pick that cherry, and if you're a washed coffee, what they're yeah. going to do is they're going to remove the fruit around the bean. And they're going to do that through a device called a depulper, which just basically... Uh, massages the bean out of the fruit. And then it goes through there and goes into a tank full of water. And then we, they leave it in the tank for different amounts of time, depending on the country. And that will allow the, that last little bit of fruit that's covering the bean to separate slightly through fermenting. And then they will dry it. And, uh, and then they'll remove that, this final dried layer and then you get your green bean. And that way, because it, you're removing the fruit right away, it tends to create cups that are very kind of light and really smooth and nice and like sweet and very soft On way. Pa- yeah, not, yeah. Not massively intense, but just like really round. Um, well, the other one, the natural coffee that you tasted, they take that cherry... And what they do is they just, they'll dry the coffee with the cherry on. And so they will... Keep the fruit on there. Exactly. Yeah. And it becomes a very intense cup, like really, really sweet, really vibrant flavors. And so these, these different processings result in different cups. And so I think when people are looking at it, they should look at it sort of like the different beers that they might like, yeah, or the different yeah. wines they might like. So when they walk into a coffee shop and they look at that wall of coffee, they can be like, oh, well, I like a natural, so I'll grab that coffee or I'll grab a wash. So it just helps you kind of... Make understand that like before boy. you even buy it. Yeah. yeah, there's so many different coffees that I, I don't know mo- no, most yeah. of them, and so you have to kind of have that little bit of knowledge that will just point you in the right direction. That's why half the time it's quite often personal preference, isn't it? Like yeah. you know, if you know you're not into floral so much, floral coffees necessarily, you're definitely it might not be the coffee that's necessarily not good. It's just your palate isn't 
yeah. in oh, tune yeah. with that necessarily. Yeah, so. well, like people really like natural wines right now, and I'm not really into them <laughs> no, that much. And no, so I people haven't. are, and so I, I'm drinking a lot of it with friends of mine who are really into these really kind of funky tasting wines, and I'm not, it's not really my thing at all. But it doesn't um, mean that it's not but necessarily it nice. Mean it's bad. It's not, yeah, a lot of people yeah. really like it. it, but it means that when I go to the shop and I'm getting a bottle of wine, <laughs> You'll have to I probably won't buy it. that yeah. one. Yeah, I'll buy something else. And so, yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Just a little bit on blends. Um, I know that you can get like single origins or like what's the difference when, you, when you're buying a blend? I know I've been to coffee shops and I'm like, oh, this is single origin from Colombia. And like, I haven't really necessarily known the masses difference in it. Yeah, so it's usually, it's interesting because the, the term single origin means one country. So you can have a blend of one country's coffee. Um, but I think largely when blends, what they're talking about is blending different lots. So maybe different farmers' coffees together. And the reason we, we do it in coffee is that it allows you to access flavors that might not be well represented in just one coffee. So you might get one lot of coffee that just tastes like strawberries. It tastes yeah, like really yeah, nicely yeah. strawberries, but you might be sitting there and be like, ah, oh, you know, it, it, people really like caramel to be in there as well. So let's, let's blend the strawberry coffee with the caramel coffee, yeah. and then we can get a nice strawberry caramelty flavors. And so it helps us kind of access more flavors through blending. While single origins are this really interesting thing because it sort of strips that away, and what it can do is add intense fidelity to the nut. So you're, you're tasting this like... Like this tastes exactly like strawberries because the coffee that's in it is so every bean is so similarly grown, picked, processed that the flavor compounds are are much stronger. And so single origin, like single origin coffee, which is usually single lot coffee, can just really show how one farm can do capture one flavor profile so well. Well, blends kind of introduce you to a lot more flavors. And so, what would you would you then say if someone was looking for a coffee? Would you say? that a one origin, like single blend, is that just stronger coffee, would you say? Or? It's, it's not stronger. It's, um, so it might not be that it tastes like stronger as in bitter or anything like that. It's just more that it will taste of those, often those flavor notes in it okay. will be much more like... the two, be Yeah, more... it'll be more clear. They'll be right. more pronounced and defined as opposed to more just general coffee flavor notes, which usually come from a blend because you're putting a lot more of these contrary yeah, notes yeah. in there. So it really just offers you uh, an opportunity to taste, not necessarily stronger, but maybe clearer. Okay, interesting. And so say like you were someone that knew you liked um, coffee with a little floral hint in there. What would you say like in terms of um, apparatus? There's obviously so many different ways of coffee, like AeroPress, V60, French press, all those kind of things, espresso. Say um, you wanted something a bit fruitier, a bit more floral, say. What would you say is like the best way of making that, say for the average person at home? So I think like when you're brewing coffee at home and you're looking at all those tools on the wall that yeah, can yeah. use getting um like whether it be fruity floral chocolatey all of those apparatus can probably do that to different degrees i think what they can really what they'll do though is play around with intensities of them so a filter coffee if you're using like a paper filter from your v60 or, or anything that has a paper filter involved with it that usually cleans up a lot of the the textural feeling of the cup which means that you're not getting a lot of the, the little bits of coffee that, in there, that are in the liquid, like, say, with a French press. And those little bits can kind of extract a little further, and they might taste more of that chocolatey or classic coffee flavors because they're still in the water for much longer than being cleared out with the paper filter. So I would say paper filter coffee, brewed coffee, tends to be really clean-tasting, really, like, 
really kind of shines the notes through, especially the delicate notes, and ensures that all of those are in the cup. Well, the ones that are brewed with the, say, a French press or where the coffee grounds are still in the brewer, those ones tend to like do a lot of those bass tone notes, and that's because it keeps extracting the coffee quite a bit longer. And so you'll, you'll probably get those heavy notes from something like French press while you'll get much more complexity out of a paper filter. Wow, well, and he took me a paper filter. I've only ever really had the French press at home, and I have found it always just leaves very dark, caramelly flavours, whereas I think, although I like a smoother coffee, I think maybe I would, the V60 might work better for my kind of palate, I suppose. Yeah. So in terms of, like, other types of um, coffee, obviously, like, espresso and things like that, what would you say, and, like, oh, the old-school percolator and the automatic coffee maker... What's, like, the big difference in all of them? You know, lots of people still drink instant coffee, which isn't nothing to turn our nose up to, because if that's your flavour, if that's what you like. But, like, what's, like, the big differences in them all? Like, um, why so, are there so many? Yeah, well, I think that there's so many. Like, it, it, you know, there's the history of people just inventing things because it's a new way to yeah, yeah. taste coffee. It's a looking at convenience or speed. You know, espresso was built because it is such a quick way of making coffee. Instant coffee, obviously, even quicker. And so there's, I think though, with a lot of these things, there's always going to be utility based into it about why someone came up with them. And then there's always going to be the, what happened is the, why they probably stuck around is a lot of the flavor stuff. And so, uh, espresso was built to be like solve a speed issue and a result, it did that, but it also tastes really delicious. So it stuck around and people still see it. So I'm sure there's been these, you know, thousands of inventions over the years of stuff that has tried to solve a problem in making coffee that has maybe just gone away because it probably did it in a rubbish way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of these things have stuck around. The main difference is, uh, I think they're similar because they solved some sort of problem. It's like an evolution, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but they've evolved and now you, they taste like espressos, really nice and like intense flavors. Um, instinct coffee... It, it's it will it, you know it's very utility it gets you coffee really quickly but maybe it loses a lot of the uh, delicate complex notes and it adds in because it has to go through the process of inst- like to make an instant coffee has its own flavor that it adds to all coffees and while filter coffees are just really soft ways to extract coffee so they're all just I think because of their preparation they'll add these kind of different takes on an individual coffee. But it's interesting how if you take one coffee and you filter brew it and you express, make it into espresso yeah. and you make it in an instant, instant coffee, you can see just the massive array of flavors that really? one coffee can reveal. And so it can Even be, like yeah. the aromas and things, the fragrance from it, it's just so different. Yeah, because each one just really pulls different flavor compounds. And it's all about the interaction between how you how you're brewing it and those flavor compounds. So sometimes it's not necessarily about the, the roast that you've got with the bean. It's sometimes just as much about the equipment and the way that you're actually, the process you're going through to make the coffee. Yeah, it, it definitely, there's like this large part about, and with coffee, like the, we always look at it, every step before it prepares you for the next. So the yeah. farmer, you know, sets it up for the roaster to do, so the farmer doing a good job, sets it up for the roaster doing a good job. Yeah. And then the roaster for the person brewing it. And so, it's all how you do. So the, how the farmer did it, how the roaster did what they did, and then how you root in the end are all, will give you that final cup. Wow. God, it's mad. Like, I just, I didn't even understand how much went into it. Like, I fully appreciate it. It's like insane. Um, amazing. So what's your favorite coffee, Josh, if you had to choose? Um, just out of curiosity? Well, right now, I think we're, so we're about to release this coffee from uh, Panama from uh, this farm called Esmeralda, and they've won a lot of awards around the, around the world. And 
it's, it's probably one of the first coffees I had that really like was like, oh, this tastes incredibly different. And so every time it comes around, there's a lot of that uh, like emotional thing built into how it tastes. Where every time I taste it, I'm like, oh yeah, this this reminds me of when I was. 17, 18, and I so tasted it for the first time. Again, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of coming back to it, and so it's really, uh, it's really amazing just to experience that again. Amazing. And, uh, so yeah, so that's probably my favorite right now. <laughs> nice. And so, for, like for our listeners at home, if you were, if they were listening to this and they're like, "Oh, I want to go and roast my own coffee or make my own coffee at home," like, have you any like tips or techniques or advice for them? Or what yeah, well, if you want to roast step? coffee at home, now is kind of like the, you're. We're really entering this age where it's coming back more. This home roasting. It used to be so ubiquitous. Like the idea of a a, co- a commercial coffee roaster used to be so strange to people because everyone used to roast their own coffee at home. Um, and it's slowly coming back, and it, a lot of the technology is increasing. And so I really recommend just really looking for a machine that will give you all the, the, the technology that goes into these commercial roasters into your small home roaster. So, you know, if, you're, if you want to roast at home, you can totally do some amazing coffees. Um, so just really look around and look into all the variables about coffee. Um, and you can do that. There's so much literature now, and you can learn from, you know, we, we run uh, the Specialty Coffee Association of Europe has a, its own training courses that we run, and there's a lot of roasteries that offer different classes. So I think just go out and learn and then invest in something that will uh, kind of deliver the same things that the commercial that, guys what do. You you want particularly as well exactly, not just yeah. like yeah think about what it is actually you're looking for when you go for coffee well yeah. that's it and i think like once you when you learn about it it sort of gives you all the information then you can make the decision yeah, about yeah yeah because we all start off with that uh do i like it do i not yeah and then exactly, it's, it's exactly. working backwards about why do yeah I like it? everyone always is like oh do you like coffee it's like well like, i think i do but then it's like there's so much complexity to the tastes aromas different types yeah it's mad yeah oh amazing well thank you so much right. it's been you. great talking to you and um see you soon thanks Next, we have Alex and Nicholas. Hello, so I'm here at Festival Terrace on the South Bank in London at the Nordic Feast. And this three-day celebration of Nordic cuisine is very special as top chefs from eight Nordic countries have come over to cook for Londoners in a beautiful teepee tents using traditional cooking methods. Um, I've just had my Nordic breakfast and highly recommend coming along on Saturday or Sunday for Nordic bakes, breads, jams and three types of butter my kind of breakfast. Um, So each breakfast has a special guest chef and I was lucky enough to be cooked for by Niklas Ekstedt, the Swedish chef who's known best for his traditional wood fire cooking methods at his Stockholm restaurant Ekstedt. So, hey Sam, Niklas, have (laughs) I said that right? uh, Yeah, perfect. I can't (laughs) believe that pronunciation is just almost too good. Thank you very much. This is the first time someone ever presented me correctly. I like to think that I could live in Sweden one day. Yeah, yeah, well, you're welcome. I'll I'll take care of you. (laughs) Show you around. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So we've been treated to quite the feast this morning. Thank you for that. Um, Can you tell our listeners a bit more about the traditional Nordic breakfast? Well, yeah, traditional breakfast, I mean, coffee is essential in in the Nordic culture. I mean, the Nordic morning starts off always pretty dark in the winter and the fall. Yes. And so coffee has always been, you know, the the most important drink in the breakfast. And then uh, traditionally it was rye bread Mm -hmm. and uh, codro in in Sweden. Okay. Uh, uh, It's aged codro. So that's like our our Marmite kind of like toast spread. Right. Yeah, because you have um, big toothpaste-like bottles, don't you? Yeah. Um, And does does everywhere have those? That's a... 
that well, that's a big barrel coming around here. <laughs> big barrel of Codro rolling <laughs> over the yard here. No. Uh, yeah, no. So 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 it's uh, you have them with with egg. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, and there was lots of jams as well, weren't there? So yeah. we had lingonberry jam, gooseberry jam, cloudberry jam, and Mount Angelica jam. Um, so yeah, it just I mean, shows how many berries me, there are. Yeah, I mean, there, there are, I mean, there are so many different berries, and all berries are picked wild so that mm -hmm. it's, it's seasonal. And the season is pretty short. It, okay. Of course, it varies a little bit because Scandinavia is a long, uh, has a long coast and a long, it's goes far up north so of course the seasons varies from south to north but you know the the season of berries are pretty short so you need to uh, jam it to save it okay. for the winter so what happens in fall is that you buy fresh berries in the store okay. like lingonberries or blueberries or cloudberries and then you you yeah you cook it into a jam and then save it for the winter amazing and what what's the season like i know you said uh, it varies, it's august but... to september okay. basically yeah now there's a plane no it's a chopper cool. <laughs> coming over from sweden yeah um, it's a little ironic to sit in this kind of like a nordic environment yes. with the reindeer uh, yeah, skin and, beautiful. Then, and, and fire and then you're hearing the, the london yeah, I know. city noise yeah. it is really stunning the yeah. um the tent because it's loads of fresh flowers on the tables and lots of um yeah. these reindeer yeah it's yeah. reindeer. Yeah. It's amazing. So it's really hugger. I don't Huga. know. Is no. it hugger? Yeah, hugger. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Danish. So I'm yeah. Swedish. So it'd okay. be more mus in Swedish. What's it? Mus? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I hate that word. Okay. Well, we won't, we won't talk about that then. Yeah. So which is your favorite um, berry? Um, it would definitely be the wild raspberry or the wild, uh, or, or the cloudberry, which is always picked wild. Okay. And uh, cloudberry, what, how is cloudberry that Cloudberry is kind of like, it's similar to a raspberry, but it grows on a very small plant. Okay. And on wet ground above the tree level in Scandinavia. Okay. So it's out on the mountain and it's, um, yeah. It's it's delicious. It's mm. very it kind of like almost has this tropical flavor to it. Oh, okay. And because it matures above, uh, you know, the way up north, mm -hmm. so the the sun doesn't set in the in the summer. So it gives it's like twenty four hours sun. So it's oh, a very wow. tropical and deep flavor. To very it, so. intense. Yeah. Intense. Yeah. And so that for those jams, we need some bakes to spread them onto. Yeah. So it happens to be baking week in the UK. I don't know oh, if you knew no, that. Oh no, I didn't know that. So yes. Mary Berry is happy. Yes, she's very happy. <laughs> <laughs> and um. Um, Ed Kimber is actually one of um, our friends, Olive. Um, okay. He is um, coming on Sunday to bake some bakes for the Nordic Feast. Okay, so, um, nice. Yes, he's yeah. the guest baker on uh, yeah. Sunday. Mm. But can you tell us a bit more about Swedish baking in particular? Yeah. I mean, traditionally, wheat bread is, mm -hmm. uh, is we used to make sweet things with. Wheat, okay. White wheat was something that was a you took out for Christmas or birthday cake. Right. Or it was rye that is the main flour, the main grain. That's and, for and the barley. savory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, there's different, lots of different types of breads, aren't there? Yes. So, um, <clears throat> and it varies from, I mean, Scandinavia is a big region. Yes. And uh, it varies from country to country, but north Sweden, where I'm from, Jämtland, which is actually mid Scandinavia but it look it's it seems north, <laughs> it seems north yeah but it's uh, we we mostly eat flat bread okay yeah so it's called tunnbröd tunnbröd yeah okay. and tunnbröd and uh, knäckebröd oh, which yes. is the hard bread so that's yeah. the hot really crisp bread and you yeah. get in the big wheels is that yes. okay yeah. and so, what but about you use the same dough though okay, so yeah. they're rye 
Yeah, you can use you some you mix it a little bit rye okay. and wheat uh, um, nowadays. Um, so speaking of these like traditional methods, let's chat more about your unique way of cooking. Yeah. So as you said, you grew up in a little village in Jämtland. Jämtland, yes. Um, which is in northern Sweden. Yeah, it is. Um, Close and that's to Norway. where like rustic slow cooking is very common. And yes, a it's lot a UNESCO protected there. area. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. The food wise. And and yeah. your restaurant Ekstet yeah. is a tribute to that, isn't yes. it? So you open your first restaurant at 21 yeah. serving <laughs> very trendy like molecular gastronomy yes. yeah. but then Nordic cuisine has now reverted back to the traditional cooking methods yeah. and you're very much an advocate of that yeah. aren't you so um, can you tell us a bit about the fact you know you don't use electricity do no. you um, and you opened AXT in 2011 yep. yeah so Correct. can you tell us a bit more about the cooking methods that you use I mean the cooking method started off with like I sold my restaurant. I opened my restaurant when I was only 21 years old, and then by the time it was kind of it, it turned, it went really quick, and it became very known in Sweden. And then I was a regular on TV, and yeah. At 21, hate, that's quite yeah, a big deal, isn't it? 22, 23, I was like celebrity use, chef. Yes, yeah. You like the Raymond Blanc of Sweden? <laughs> well, yeah, kind of like yeah. It was those times and I became yeah quickly and I wasn't very comfortable with it okay uh, I felt uncomfortable with the idea of what I was doing mm-hmm. and the, it everyone it didn't it ter- I was in a success but I was personally not pleased with okay. how I turned out that's understandable yeah and uh, I met my wife back from back home from northern Sweden we used to be so we were like high school sweethearts oh like lovely thing. yeah so but then we met when we were older and then we kind of like yeah, and uh, she lived in Stockholm, and okay. I had the restaurant further down south, so a couple of hours, five-hour drive from Stockholm, and then she lived in Stockholm, so I decided to move to Stockholm with her. And then when, she, and when we had our first son, Winston, who's now turning nine, I decided to take some time off. Uh-huh. Uh, so I sold the restaurant, I took paternity leave, and we moved out on a little house out on the islands, on the oh, Acapelago wow. Islands. Outside yeah. Stockholm? Yeah. Fab. And uh, yeah, it, it is a strange thing to do, kind of like when you're mid, mid, you know, t- twenty-eight, twenty to thirty years old, just turned mm-hmm. thirty, and then suddenly you quit yes. cooking. You sold, sell your restaurant. You yeah, you leave the that life, mm-hmm. so to speak. And then um, and I don't know wh- why, but like when when you're in, it's just like that's when really big things happens. Yeah. Uh, when you like it's time for reflection yeah time for reflection and uh, so the house didn't have electricity okay and uh, it had running water uh, and we were putting in like solar panels and we were building electricity but the first summer we stayed in the house with our little with my baby son and my wife was working in the city I was at home and of course I was cooking <laughs> yes. uh, because it's still my passion and exactly. my life, you know. So it's uh, I started cooking and sourcing ingredients, and you know, had, having the baby Bjorn, I had my son with me, and we were out like doing different things. And then, kind of that summer, kind of like a lot of friends came out to visit me, and uh, and I cooked for them. And the the, the 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 reactions from my chef friends and my my family were like, oh, this is amazing! How good isn't that? So this? you were and cooking like, over like yeah, stoves. Yeah, and I didn't have anything fire. else. I just had the cast iron stove and I had a fire pit out in, on the garden and then so I was cooking and doing things and 
And uh, I, I don't know who it was, but someone said like, oh, this is a restaurant. Like this is, you need yeah. to open a restaurant out here. And it's like, well, no one will come all the way out here, no. you know. So, so you did it in yeah. the center. And then at the same time, someone called me like an investor, like a re, re, real, estate, re, real estate okay. uh, investor in the city called me up and said like, well, we have this great opportunity for you because we have this nice site in the middle of the city. And then he started describing, and I was like, oh, I'm not interested. I'm like mm. taking time off. I'm, I, I'm reflecting on what, what I'm going to do. And I wasn't even sure that I was going to open in another restaurant. Okay. I was just very kind of like being a dad. And then he said like, well, uh, it's an old um, pizza place. And I'm right. like, oh, does it have a wood oven? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <gasps> beautiful wood oven in the city. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I... Now you're it, talking. Yeah. <laughs> and then things started like... And okay. then my, yeah. And then so... That's so you've it, got the wood oven, haven't you? And then you've got... Um, what are fire the... pit. Okay. Yeah, and then open fire pit in the Yeah, the now we have like seven different things. Incredible. Yeah, we increase every year with different like yeah, uh, it's techniques and uh, tools and yeah. I know our cookery writer Adam is a big fan of yours because yeah. he loves um he loves cooking over fire way, and yeah. he, he goes out and has barbecues with his um, friends and mm. just like sits in front of an open fire. Yeah. So can you tell us some about some of the dishes that you mm. create? So I know you've got a lot of pine smoked um, yeah. dishes yeah. and wood fired almond cake, for example. Yeah. Like, what are your favorite signature dishes? Uh, well, the signature dishes are they're pretty easy. Technically, I mean, like product-wise, it's just one product and then one technique added yeah. to it. So it could be like burning fat onto an oyster, <gasps> or oh. seared scallops with hay in the fire. Ama- so you burn, you um, cook them over the hay. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So it's so it's, it has it's it's not it's not it's very simple kind of executed, but okay. always a a good product. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I think we're gonna have to leave it there. Okay. I'd love to talk more, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, it was nice talking to we you. don't have that much time. So no. um, I actually wrote about your restaurant in our Stockholm Weekender feature, which is in the December issue of Olive Magazine, coming out on Tuesday. So if anybody wants to find out a bit more about uh, Niklas's restaurant and other places to eat and drink in Stockholm, then yeah. do check that out. It'll be on OliveMagazine.com Great. as well. Great. I need to check that out too. Yes. Yes. I'll get you. <laughs> what I'll you get recommend you it oh, in, in yeah. the city? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I hope that uh, you approve. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for chatting to us and for breakfast this morning. It's thank lovely you. to meet you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you to everybody on today's podcast and thank you to you for listening. You know the drill by now. This is the bit where I beg you shamelessly to review and rate us on iTunes. It's really quick and easy thing to do and just helps even more people get to hear us. Don't ask me how, don't ask me why, it just does. And that's why we'd be ever so grateful if you could spare the time. Remember, you can also get your Olive fix by buying the magazine in all good supermarkets and newsagents via our digital app and online at olivemagazine.com. Plus, you can speak to the team directly via our social media channels. Just search for at Olive Magazine and get commenting. Until next time, bye. <laughs>